Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Well, good afternoon. Praise the Lord. We are beginning a new series through the book of Ruth. Contrary to popular belief, this is not a romance series. Amen? Because folks was like, we doing Ruth? All right, I need to get right. It's time to get cuffed up. Amen. But no, this is not for you to, this is not for you to find your boo. This is actually a series that is, is actually, the name of the book is Ruth. But Ruth is not the only person in this story. The the story is much wider and much broader. In fact, what we're going to see from this ancient story is we're going to see much about our own story and how God is weaving a story in our life. In another series that we had a while back, I talked about some of these same things. But if I come up to you and I walk up to you and I want to get to know you, I'll ask you, what is your story? What's God been doing in your life? What have been the chapters of your life? What's, What's been happening in your world? And part of what we want is to have a great story. That's why when we talked about having a relationship and uh, when you thought about this series, you thought about having a relationship, you got excited because there's a vision that you have for your life. And you want the next chapter of your life to be great. Amen? You want a great story. When they do your obituary, you want them to tell of great things that have happened. You want to make great decisions that God would be satisfied and glorified in. You want a great story. Story is how we're formed. Story is the way we understand life. What we must understand is we were created in a story, and we were created for a story. In this narrative God has been weaving through Genesis, throughout Revelation, there are characters that he has in this story. And as the Holy Spirit continues on now, changing your life and changing lives, God is still writing a story. And that's why we get so excited to have people tell us of who they are, of telling us where they've come from, telling us what they have been through. We love story. The story industry continues to grow. We love the phrase, once upon a time. We hate spoilers. There are people that have ended friendships over spoilers. Amen? We love sequels. We love it when there's more, when there's a to be continued. There's something inside of us that loves the anticipation that's mixed with uncertainty. We like the tension that's in the middle of trying to figure out how is this going to end? What will it be that the hero does. We love seeing the protagonist and the antagonist struggling in order to find meaning. We love story. I told you this last series, but um, do you ever get caught up in a story you had no intention of getting caught up in? Like sometimes I'll be sitting there and my wife will be watching like a life uh, time movie and I'll just be like, this is stupid and silly and you don't need it. And no, she did not. And before I know it, I'm like yelling at the TV. You know what I'm saying? I went over one time. I was telling you guys this last time. I went over and um, 
I heard, is, is, is Toy Story 4 coming out? Is that supposed to be happening? I heard the, the uh, trailers were kind of whack, but we'll just pray that through. But, um, but listen, I brought my kids to Toy Story. And I'm just like, this is a silly cartoon. Silly cartoon. Kids, watch this for you. This is for you. I'm here for you. By the end? Are you kidding me? I'm, I'm getting, I, I, no lie, I teared up. I am yelling at Andy. I'm like, Andy, why, man? You just going to diss buzz like that? Like, so I, I went through something emotional. Now, because we love story, we get caught up in story. And I wonder, with the nature of how stories are made, do you want God to write the next chapter in your life? Do you want him to be the authority writing the next chapter in your life? If you want that, then you've got to think about this. What we're going to see in the beginning of the book of Ruth is how someone made a decision in the midst of crisis. Oftentimes, we have this thought that, man, I want God to be in my life. I want God to do all things in my life. But uh, it's crazy when I see people make decisions, especially decisions when things are getting hard. Have you ever made like a pros and cons list? You know, you're, you're, you're trying to think, you know, right now, some of you are doing that. You're trying to think through a heavy decision in your life. You're, you're trying to think of a job and you're trying to think of a relationship and you're th- trying to think of a destination and you are making this list. And if you weighed according to your values and your dreams, it might be a dead heat. But have you considered God in your pros and cons? Is the Lord, does he have room to be a part of writing this next chapter? Do you give God the permission to write the next chapter of your life? All of us come into this world with this collection of stories, but we want God to author the next season of our lives. If God is going to do that, then he must have control. He must be able to be your yes, no. He must be the person that is the guardrails of how you make your decisions. If God is going to be the author of your story, he must be the authority of your life. Who is the authoritative voice in your life? Who do you submit your life to? And when times are hard, what is the definitive voice that you go back to so that you would know what to do and when to do it? The beginning of the book of Ruth shows a family in a crisis and when God, when, when things were going well, God's voice was loud. But when crisis hit, God's voice became a faint voice in the distance because I got to do what I got to do. You know what I'm saying? I got to get mine. In this story, in Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, we begin with some context, all right? So for those of you that need jokes and stories all the time, we're going to go to the classroom real quick, so just get some no-dose, just wake up for a second, amen? Um, all right, so we'll read this together, all right? On three, we're going to begin with during. One, two, three. During the time of the judges, there was 
Elimelech. <laughs> Naomi. Mahlon. Chilion. Ephraim. They entered the fields. All right, all right, all right. All right, I had to help you out there. I knew. I, I've been studying all week, so I'm like, Mahlon. All right, so... So there's a lot of things that we just need to unpack to understand what exactly is happening there. First thing, look where it says, during the time of the judges. So if you understand biblical history, you'll understand that the time of the judges is found in the book of Judges. And that is a very dark time in biblical history. You had the patriarch Moses, and he passes down his leadership to Joshua. But then after Joshua... There now are these cycles of sin that begin to happen in the community of Israel. And there are two things that marked this period of time when the leaders weren't being raised up in the same way and the children weren't listening to God in the same way. The first thing is they weren't sensitive to God's voice. Judges chapter 2 verse 10 says, after them, another generation rose up who did not know the Lord or the works he had done for Israel. So you couldn't just say Adam. You couldn't just say Eve. They didn't know those stories. So they weren't able to understand what God had done for Israel before. Secondly, they did, in light of that, they did whatever they wanted. Judges 21 and 25 says, in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right or did what seemed right to them. At the core of Israel at that time was, you know, I feel like I should do this. I guess I, I, guess I, I have to find my own way. I'm not going to consider what God has to say. I don't really even know it for myself. So I'm going to go on intuition, going to go on my gut, going to get a feel for it, going to network, going to do what I feel is right. And because everyone was doing what they thought was right, you had chaos. And what Israel thought would be freedom ended up leading to slavery. And their lives were ruined and they would turn away from God, fall into slavery, and then God would have to raise up another leader only for them to turn away from God again. Cycles of sin found in Judges. And if we look back in Ruth chapter 1, we have a family. The husband in the family or the father in the family is a guy named Elimelech. And Elimelech, his name means, my God is king. That's what his name means. <clears throat> his family, the verse says, was being raised in Bethlehem. Well, you've heard of Bethlehem if you've heard anything about Christmas. And this is at the center of where Judah is. This is where the center of where God has been operating. In fact, the name Bethlehem means house of bread. But there's a problem in this house of bread. There's a famine. And Elimelech has a decision to make because now he's 
This man who wants to be able to do the things of God, he's been raised in a family. His name means my God is king, and he's in Bethlehem. His family is set up spiritually, but financially, I mean, the provision of his family, he's trying to think, what should I do? Famine, the word does not give us the kind of indication and the weight that it would when read at this time because we don't, we're people of prosperity. We don't, we say the phrase starving but really don't know what it means. These people had no food. They didn't know where it was going to come from but you have to see the tension. Elimelech is in the city called House of Bread but there's no bread. He's positioned himself for prosperity, but he only has poverty. I've done everything right. I've done everything you say to do. I've got a name on my life that things are supposed to go well. I've positioned myself. I married this Jewish honey. I've done everything right, but my life is not going the way I thought it would. And now there's a famine. I'm in the house of bread, but with no bread. And we have to see, this is, this is where we gotta understand. This famine did not happen for any old reason. Deuteronomy 28 says, I'll just read the first part of it. But if you do not obey the Lord your God by carefully following all his commands and statutes I'm giving you today, all these curses will come and overtake you. You'll be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and kneading bowl will be cursed. Your offspring will be cursed. What God was doing with those curses was, he says, I'm going to turn off all the other faucets in your life till you only drink from the well of God. I am going to get your attention. I'm going to shut everything else down. So the famine just wasn't because God couldn't provide. The famine was because God was trying to turn his people back to him. And he had warned them of that. What we also learn is that when they go from Bethlehem, they go to this place called Moab. And when it comes to Moab, Moab, the, the Moabites were a group of people that God had clearly said in Deuteronomy 23 and 3, no Ammonite or Moabite may enter the Lord's assembly. But essentially what it was saying is not that he did not want Moabites to know God, but he wanted to make sure that the Israelites and the Moabites did not come together and co-mingle or even intermarry because the Moabites were a very sexually perverse people, and they would constantly bring the Israelites down. So they had this tension working all throughout Jewish history. The Moabites, they worshiped this god Shemosh, and there was human sacrifice to this god. The Moabites were polytheistic, meaning that they had a god for any whim and any wave that they wanted. If they wanted crops, they had a god for that. If they wanted sex, they had a god for that. If they wanted more food, they had a god for that. They were polytheistic. So when you start operating and co-mingling with people who are polytheistic, you start to catch their vibration and their waves and the rhythm of their worship. So God says, don't rock with them. There's, no, no, I want you to love them, but don't rock with them because you'll start to catch their patterns. Don't go to Moab. But what ends up happening is, since everything in Bethlehem isn't working the way we thought, you know, Naomi, we ought to just leave. If you look back in this verse, one more thing 
And I just want to unpack it a little bit. If you look back in the verse, we joked around about their name Machlon and Chileon. It sounds like this offset and takeoff and the Migos. But they sound like this whole rap group. But listen, the name Machlon, listen, it means sickly. And the name Chileon means dying. And oftentimes you would name your children not just based on their future, but in the current context you're in now. You can tell what they thought about their life, how they named their children. We're going to die here. God's not going to come through. God's not going to provide for us, Naomi. God's not going to provide for Mahlon and Chilion. We've we got to get out of here. Well, honey, you know, we can't go to Moab. I heard there's great things in Moab, but we can't go there. God clearly said, well, did he say that? Does God want us to starve? I don't know. I don't know. I, I think we ought to go. I, Elimelech, I'm not, I'm not really sure. I'll follow you. I'll follow your decision. You lead me. And there he ends up, Elimelech, ends up bringing his family to Moab. There's much to say about the beginning of this text. There's much to say about this decision Elimelech made. Before I get to the consequences, what ends up happening, we just have to know this was a wrong decision. Elimelech's name means God is my king. But when crisis happened, who really had the authority? It does not matter if your name means my God is king when crisis hits and you end up being your own king. You end up leading your own life. Elimelech functionally did whatever he wanted. And in that period of time, it was a very dark time when no one was paying attention to what God says. I mean, it was kind of a culture, like you did what you wanted. But just because it worked out doesn't mean God approved of it. You know, one of the things that, um, you ever be at your house sometimes and you, you're laying there, you turn the lights off, and when you first turn them off, it's pitch black. But then after a few minutes, your eyes adjust to the dark and your eyes stay adjusted to the dark, to the point where you don't really see everything. Spiritually, it can work for you the same way. You can start operating in darkness and your spiritual life starts adjusting to the dark. You just start living in the dark. And then when someone turns the light on, you're like, oh my God, why are you trying to kill me? You're trying to kill me, you, wanna, you want me to die, right? No, I want you to see. And the very people trying to give you insight and light you think are trying to hurt you when really they want you to see the full circumference of what you're in. At that time, they had a very dark period. And here's what Elimelech decided to do. I'm just gonna leave. I just don't like the way things are working out for me, so I'm gonna ghost. I just don't like the way that, 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 you know, this friendship is working out. I'm just going to ghost. This church, I, 
just really not feeling it. I mean, I went through the membership and did all that. But you know what? I'm not feeling anymore. I'm just going to ghost. And I'm going to go into a new circumstance and a new context. I'm going to do something new because if it's new, it'll give me new energy. I'm going to be around new people and new means better, right? And God's sovereignty means God reigns. God is supreme. God is the first and he's the last. And we want God to do things on our benefit. And oftentimes we think if we leave, things will get better. And we think God will follow us, meaning God will now change things there. He'll make it just, he'll make it better because we're the ones changing. The fact of the matter is new scenery doesn't change God's sovereignty. Just because you go to a new context, do you know what's in that new context? You. Do you know that 75% of second marriages end in divorce? I tell this to couples all the time. When they're on the brink, they're like, man, you see what I got? You see what I got? Oh my gosh, I'm dealing with that. And I'm like, you know, the problem is you haven't dealt with you because the next marriage, you are bringing you into that marriage. You are part of the problem. New scenery does not change God's sovereignty. And what ends up happening is everybody, especially in our culture now, everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. Everybody, does, everybody wants to live a life where no one can tell them what to do. No authority now is a bad word. Honor now is a bad word. Do your own thing. Live your own life. Watch YouTube videos and you'll learn. And we love entrepreneurship, but we hate apprenticeship. Where you actually have to follow a human, not click a button. And our culture, and we, we presume because if I do it, once I get my hands on it, once I get into this context, once I, you know, people see me, things will change. And the reality is that oftentimes it ends up in isolation and failure and a great deal of consequence. And we cannot say, how many of you guys know that God does not give us the consequences we deserve? How many of you know that? Amen? Amen. Thank you for your grace, Jesus. Thank you that God is not keeping a ledger of my bad decisions and weighing all my bad decisions and then using them against me. Now, God is a God of grace. Amen? But sometimes things are based on consequence. Some things are the consequences of your decisions and your actions. The next few verses you're gonna see, you're gonna see death and destruction. You're gonna see a family go down in flames. And, though, and although God does not always treat us as we deserve, he does not always give us the consequences that we deserve, oftentimes God will let us suffer through our poor decisions that left him out the mix. They move to Moab and they end up suffering. And oftentimes when you leave God out of the vision, he often leaves out his provision. I don't mean just financially, I mean his peace. You got the office, you got the big job, you got the relationship, but you don't have Jesus. Mm, that'll preach. You got everything you wanted, you worked hard, 
You hustled. You did everything on your own and you left Jesus out. You got it. But now you don't feel the same power and joy you used to have. It's better to be broke with Jesus than rich without him. It's better to not have a job and to be dependent on Christ than to have the greatest job and leave God out. How are you making your decisions? Who is your authority? Oh God, write the next chapter, but he's got to be the author and the authority. And so, <laughs> Ruth, Naomi, this family begins to face the weight of this decision. In verse three, it says, Naomi's husband's Elimelech died. Doesn't tell us how he died. And she was left with her two sons, Mahlon and Chilion. And her son, sons took Moabite women, which God said, don't do, but you know, we're just doing what we want. One's name was Orpah, and the second's name was Ruth. After they lived in Moab about 10 years, in verse 5, oh man, Mahlon and Chilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. Naomi moved to Moab with a full family. Now, she's a single parent mom. Single parent moms in any culture do three times as much as the average human being, okay? In any culture. But in that culture especially, because when her husband died, he was the patriarch of their family, a woman could not make it without her husband in that culture. So what would they do? Depend on their sons. But what happens when your sons die? Oh, wait a minute. Well, they're going to get, they got married. Oh, but they didn't have kids. Not only did they not have children, but most likely this family, Mahlon and Chilion, Ruth and Naomi, they, they, wanted to, uh, they wanted to be able to have grandchildren so that maybe, maybe if that my sons die and my husband dies, maybe I'll have a grandchild that I could raise up and one day I'll be able to depend on him. But she didn't have that. Now Naomi is by herself, and now she's got these two Moabite women, her children, married. She's suffering. And I just want to say that this is what happens when you make decisions. There's always a consequence. We live in a sequence, and what comes after this sequence is a consequence. And what happens here is, right now, the majority of our church is single, so you know generally you think about you. You know who you talk to the most? You. 
And in your decisions and in your conversations, you think about what will benefit you. How will things work for you? But I just want to say something to the husbands here. If God calls us to be the leader of our home, then there's going to come a point where your decisions will not just affect you, but it will affect your family. It will affect the people around you. And for anyone in a leadership position, you've got to think about what will the long-term effects of this decision be. You see, most of our lives we think, man, how can I get ahead? How can I make this decision? How can I get by? But we cannot, when, when you're in a leadership position, when you're leading a family, when you're leading people, you cannot only think, what will give me leverage? You've got to think, what will leave a legacy? And I want you all, everyone in here that says, man, I can't wait to be married, then start making decisions like you have a corporate entity depending on your decisions. Start leading in your decisions now. Think corporately now. Don't just think about you and how things affect you. Let me just give a side note, hashtag, this is a shout out to all the teams that we have here. One of the hardest things we deal with is when we have people who say, man, I'm too tired to show up on that team I serve in. Everybody's tired. <laughs> Who's not tired? I got three kids. I'm real tired. We're all tired. But when you say, you know what? I'm tired and the beach is lit and I'm just going to, I know I signed up. I know I signed up, I know I signed up, but the beach. I know I signed up, but my, my thing I got, I, I got a thing, you know what I'm saying? I looked on my phone, I was like, a thing, and so I can't do it now, right? <laughs> and what ends up happening, you're like, I gotta, me, mm, oh, me, I gotta think about me, I gotta think of, nobody's thinking about me, I gotta think about me. We're all thinking about me. And when you say, I need to pull back, so for me, you are basically saying, hey, let's put more weight on you so that I don't, so I can think about me. You say, man, when I get married, I'm going to make corporate decisions. Make a corporate decision now. <laughs> when you sign up for something, show up. Amen, amen, amen. Good night, good night. God bless you. Make, start, start doing that now. You want a family to depend on you now? We're a family. We're depending on you now. Amen. We're depending on you now. We're depending on you right now. And you are, you, and, and I'm sorry. You can paint it in what your mama told you to do and what your daddy told you to do and all this stuff you can paint it in. At the end of the day, you are thinking about yourself and it ends that with that phrase, ish, and it is selfish. Because you are not thinking about me. You are thinking about you. Start thinking about the legacy you want to leave. What do you want your name to be? The name of this book is Ruth because her name is a legacy. Naomi becomes a matriarch, but Elimelech, we don't even know that. You can't even pronounce that name because you don't know his name because he, was, he made selfish decisions, not corporate decisions. So he doesn't have a legacy. And I want you to have a legacy. Amen, James. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. So 
from a very practical, so we're going to um, unpack more of Ruth, but I really want to um, give you guys some just practical, practical questions to ask yourself in the sphere of making godly decisions. If you're a note taker, this is your big moment, amen? Um, okay, I'm just going to turn around and I'm just going to experience this with you, okay? Making godly decisions. This is what you need to ask yourself. Am I being completely honest with myself? The most important story that's happening is the story you're telling yourself in the midst of a decision. You are telling yourself a story. You're embracing a narrative. Are you, are you cutting corners in the narrative? Were you really fully honest with that person? Have you honestly sat with yourself and wanted the full truth. The world is filled with people. I sit and I counsel. And when I'm done counseling them, I don't even know why we spent that hour. I might as well just been a receptacle for their thoughts because they did not want my wisdom. They wanted my agreement. Question two. What story do you want to be told? What do you want your legacy to be? How do you want to be remembered? Do you want to be known as a person who was committed and faithful and worked through the problem? Or psh, don't mess with them because, you know, because they, psh, they, psh, whoa, you like, and you like it. Some of you like it. You like the, you, you, you enjoy some of your toxicity because you think it makes you intimidating. It doesn't make you intimidating. It makes you a hard person to be around. What story do you want to be told? Is there a tension that needs to be tending? Do you need to run to the tension? I, we could, honestly, I could preach Matthew 18 every Sunday and 50% of the room would be convicted. Like, you know, go to the person you have an ought with. Oh God, I don't feel like going to him. Oh, and then you kind of like try to like help your brain say, oh, well, it wasn't that bad. I'm not really not that mad. I just talk about them every day. But regardless of that, right, like, do you actually walk towards the person? Or do you leave? Or do you go silent? Or do you go ghost? I didn't know, my kids told me this, but there's this thing called you left them on read. I did, or read, or whatever, praise God. I didn't even know, I didn't even know that was a thing. So my daughters told me there are people who leave their read receipts on just so that the person could know I read it and I'm not talking to you. I was like, the levels of petty. Oh my gosh. That is honors level pettiness. Wow, that's new. We're such a creative beings. The whole culture can be doing this ghosting thing and piecing out people. You know God's not pleased, right? Like, people are trying to talk to you and you just leave them on read. Thank you, God, you don't leave me on read. Where he's like, look at him just struggling. <laughs> oh, no, I read that prayer, you know what I'm saying? It's hard out here, right? Like, God doesn't do that. 
Thank you, God, for responding to my text. All right, next. What would glorify God the most? Yo, we could end up, that is the question. What will give God glory? What, what, if God, I want God to co-sign this. What will give God the most glory? That question has helped me through so many decisions, whether I go or stay, what will, what will make God's name greater through my life? Have I completed my assignment? Was there something I was called to do? Should I just stay here and remain? Because do you know, God wanted them to trust him through the famine, not leave because of a famine. Sometimes God will let you suffer and starve because he is testing you. The Bible talks about having joy through trials. God allows you to go through seasons of starvation, and you've got to ask yourself, should I stay? And the most mature Christians have stick to Stick to, they like, they stick to things. They're faithful. You cannot be mature and unfaithful at the same time. It's impossible. God can't give you projects. He can't give you people. He cannot trust you. And since he can't trust you, he can't give you nothing. Oh, you, you, you might even be famous, but God's not blessing you. No. No, you can network. But when God blesses your life, you do, it's commercial, bro. How much time I got? Let me just say this. I want to say this to you all. It doesn't matter what you become. You want to be famous. You want to be a singer. You want to be a dancer. What has God called you to do? Do that. My teacher in seminary said this quote, and it changed my life. He said, if God called you to be a farmer, never stoop so low to be a king. Think about that. What he was saying is where God calls you is anointed and it is awesome. That's where blessing will be. And no amount of eyes can be like the eyes of God. That's what you want. You want God's eyes on you and blessing you. The last one is whew, a doozy. Oh, my God. My God, I'm, I got to go. I got to go. Okay. Have I submitted my decision to godly people or yes people? You see, what the saints do is they make decisions and they get themselves an echo chamber of people they already knew what they were going to say already. They get their friends, they get their family that they think are really awesome and great. Yeah, we love you. But they don't get objective, godly people. So they gather counselors that are already on their team. Essentially, what they want is not a counseling session. They want a pep rally. And they don't want the truth. And the word that I put there is submitted. One of the things our culture really struggles with is honor. Just allowing there to be leadership over your life, authority over your life. Like, who do you honor? Who do you honor and say, you know what, I'm going to make a decision, but I need to go to this person because they're a little bit more elevated than me. I went to my nephew's graduation, 
And a lot of people graduated, but some people graduated with honors. And when you graduate with honors, it means I recognize that you're different. You know, the fact of the matter is, there, I, I mentioned this before about counseling, there are people who come to me, but they don't listen to what I tell them to do. I'm their preacher, but I'm not their pastor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they honor me with their lips. Pastor, praise God, pastor, how are you? Oh, my gosh, that was so funny. <laughs> and then when you sit down with them, I'm like, yeah, you got to stop doing that. God says don't do that. Don't do it. Don't do it. They're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I'm going to do what I want. You do what you want because you have no authority in your life. You do what's right in your own eyes. And you live in cycles. You live in cycles. And the only way to break that cycle is to live under God's authority, but God places people in your life too. You need human authority. Amen, James. I don't care what the culture says. It does not matter what the, the culture, the culture is, is going its own direction. What does God say? Okay, well then let me get around other godly people because the Christian tagline of do whatever I want is God told me. And the minute that God, oh, God told you, oh snap, I can't touch that decision. That means that you and God had a personal conversation. And even though God's word clearly says you shouldn't do that, you're just going to do what you want anyway. You're going to do what you want. Oh, okay, I'm listening. I'm like, okay, this person's going to do what they want. And that, that is going to leave a legacy in your children. And you can turn today. So what it ends up saying here, Ruth chapter 1 verse 7. <clears throat> Praise God for godly women like Naomi. Because it says she left the place in chapter 1 verse 7. She left the place where she had been living accompanied by her two daughters-in-law and traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. Once her husband dies and her two sons dies, she says, we're going to go back. I'm going to turn back to Bethlehem and Judah. I'm going to go back. And I just want you to know that no matter how many bad decisions, poor decisions, decisions that you left God out, it is never too late to turn back to God. It is never too late. It is never too late. When I drive in other cities, the, the, I hate seeing when I can't make a U-turn. You know there's no U-turn signs? Which is like you can't turn around. I'm like, but I can turn around. It's just you don't want me to turn around. <laughs> but I could if I wanted to. And sometimes I'm faithful to God, sometimes I'm not. I'm still working. I'm a growing Christian. Amen? Amen. There is no no U-turn sign in God's economy. You can always turn around. And I want to look at each one of you. Wherever you're at today, when she made that decision to go back to Judah, back to Bethlehem, it was along, it's, the text says, she went along the road. And right now, wherever you're at, if you are just in a season of your life where you have been promiscuous sexually, just doing what you want. Just make a decision. Even if you fall tomorrow, just make a decision. I just need to do what God says. Begin to go back down the road of God and his faithfulness, his presence. And the story of the prodigal is, is that when the prodigal son started to come back to God, 
and started coming back to the father, the father ran to him. And the Bible says, if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. And when my daughter takes a little step towards me and I take a step towards her, my step is so much bigger towards her. I'm telling you, take that baby step towards God and he will run to you. That's the decision. That's the number one decision. Do you want God in your life? Do you want God to be your leader? Do you want God to have your legacy? That's the decision. And in the end, in the end, I believe God will be glorified in our lives. Jesus, we love you. We can do nothing without you. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give us just room in our minds and our hearts to give you more authority, Jesus. Right now, Lord, there are people who are making tough decisions over their life. There are people who are figuring out the next steps of their life. And God, we pray that you would walk with us through that decision. You'd walk with us to the next wise, godly choice that we would not be on our own, that we would not reject you. Be our authority in Jesus' name. Amen? I wonder if you'd stand with me. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.